Welcome to another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content coming every Thursday. And hey, bonus this week, you get it a day early on Wednesday. Smith and Jones, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, or otherwise, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. And Jonesy, tons to dive into today. We've got a number of guests that are going to join us uh, over the next uh, 30, 45 minutes or so or more. But I want to just chat with you, a little fireside chat here with Smith and Jones to start the show. I don't care what the record is, whether it's a game above 500, a game below 500, at 500. This team's kind of been up and down the last couple of weeks. I believe in this team, of course, that I'm referring to, the Toronto Raptors. I believe a lot of it has to do with injury. And I don't want to use that as an excuse, but I think it's a factor, absolutely, that this team has had a number of different starting lineups, which then affects a number of different rotations, who's available, who isn't, who's playing more minutes, less minutes, chemistry, cohesion, all of that stuff you throw it into a pot. And that, to me, at least aids in or impacts a team that is struggling to find its identity again defensively or has lost part of its defensive identity, a team that's struggling to move the ball and play with the unselfishness that we've seen in the past, and a team that certainly struggled then to find consistency with their shooting because some of their best shooters have not only been out of the lineup but maybe haven't been able to find a rhythm because of all the factors that I just mentioned. So that's my sort of sense on why this team is kind of hovering sort of in – being an average team at best right now. But then another part of me looks at it and goes, well, hold on a second. Even as bad as it's been in some people's eyes or as average as it's been in other people's eyes, other than maybe Milwaukee, Boston, nobody's really running away and going crazy in the East. And I've referenced you, Jonesy, a number of times. Like my my buddy, my broadcast partner, Paul Jones, you get the credit because you're the one that always tells me, don't look at the win column, look at the loss column. And the loss column tells me that there is only a couple of losses separating the Raptors from suddenly vaulting into being fourth or fifth, and yes, from dropping to 11th or 12th or lower. So they're still right there, in spite of all these alleged issues or struggles, they're still right there with like five, six, seven, maybe even eight teams in their conference. I throw it to you. I, Yeah, no, Eric, I just... I, I just don't know where where the 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 bandwagon uh, sky is falling fan mentality when we win we're going for we're heading for a championship and we're the greatest thing since the invention of sliced bread and when we lose everybody uh, needs to be on notice from Musayu Jiri down to uh, you know uh, uh, you know. Curtis Andrade, the, the equipment manager, like, just get off it. Get off it. That's all I can say. Let things play out. And, and I'm not even going to, I mean, you said it so well when you talked about all of the factors, not excuses, factors, facts that are impacting this team around injuries. People are on Fred. Let's, I'll pick out an example. People are on Fred. Well, he's not, can't make a shot. Well, he's injured. There, he, we, he hasn't told us, but we can read between the lines. There's something going on, and when there's an injury, there's compensation, which changes the release on your shot or when you shoot or the way. Like, he, he, okay, so they're not making shots now. They have guys injured. They have people out of the lineup. There are things going on that are not allowing guys to get the good open looks that they were getting before because all of a sudden you start to get those good open looks, be it off playmaking or ball movement or turnovers on defense or rebounding, and everything, everything gets better. So I, I'm just – I'm not, I'm not going to uh, – I'm not going to jump – into the pool with everybody else. And, I, 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 you know, sorry to sound like the old man here, but at my age, having seen as much basketball as I've seen, you're never as far away from being good when you're bad, and you're never that far away from being bad when you're good. I mean, as we record this right now, it, like the Celtics had 
a couple of losses uh, in the last in in in, the, in on their West Coast trip, and everybody thought Boston was the greatest thing around. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute, they've lost two in a row, and in one of those games, the Clippers beat them up really bad. And like, is it like no, just go for the long haul. Look at the long haul. This team, we're a third of the way through the season. Again, I keep referencing that point. 14 and 17 last year before they won five in a row. So we're at a stage where the Raptors are up and down and up and down, and they're still trying to figure it out. As you said, injuries have a lot to do with it. So I am going to resist the temptation of trading everybody and firing everybody uh, every time there's a, you know, a, a game that's lost. I'm not okay. saying this thing is perfect, yeah. and there, there aren't some things to be cleaned up, but yes, let's let it play out. All right, Jonesy, put put a pin in what you just said there, because I do want to find out from you at least what you think some of those issues are, because there are some issues and there are some things, or some might argue many things that need to be cleaned up. So let's put a pin in that for a second, but go back to what I think is the case with both of us, where we don't quite feel like the sky is falling, especially with 50-odd games remaining in the season, and we haven't even hit the new year yet. I was on, and, and let me make sure I also preface this. This is not personal. I'm not throwing these two under the bus. They ask good questions. They have good insight. They have legitimate concerns, and they are the voice for the people as well. So listen, it's all good. It's all good here. Now, that said, I was on the morning show uh, a couple of days ago or, like, you know, over the course of this week with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert, and they were asking me, and I, I believe it was Justin that more so asked the question or at least kind of presented the theory, the query of, well, is it time to even look at the core? Because what is the core? And is this core really going to step us into the future? And what does next season, let alone future seasons, look like? Does it need to be addressed? Uh, and and I, I kind of was like thinking, like, really? Are we? I, I thought we were just kind of focusing on this year, and they're, they're hovering around 500, a little bit above, a little bit below, right at. It's kind of been inconsistent, but for all the reasons we've already talked about, that's the reasons why. And then I look at it and go, you've got a guy who's coming off an all-star season, who, albeit, has not been as good this year, Fred. You've got a all-NBA player, and a guy who is, I would assume, going to be an all-star this year in Pascal Siakam. You've got the reigning rookie of the year, who, yes, you would like to see take a bit of a step further and a little bit more growth, but he's still been pretty darn good, and his numbers, at least, are as good as they were last year. And then you've got a defensive player of the year candidate in OG Ananobi. So I'm looking at that going like, I don't know, isn't that core pretty good? We're actually talking about, like, blowing this thing up, and what does the future look like? Like, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that and again i'm not trying to be critical of justin or alish but i'm i'm looking at that thinking like jonesy i can't imagine unless i'm wrong here that masai ujiri or bobby webster are like hovering a finger over a red panic or blow-up button right now and suddenly the face and the core of this team is going to be altered in the next four five six weeks or whatever i i don't see that but maybe i'm wrong i i don't see it either and and uh, <laughs> You would be, you would be, if you blow it up, you would be taking a step backward to try and move forward. And I just don't see that in Masai's mentality. Uh, you know, they got caught the one year in Tampa, and when COVID hit them around the All Star break, and you know, uh, yeah, let's let's tell tales out of school. Um, did we see that coming? Was there foreshadowing when you and I were doing games? Uh, in a studio uh, during the height of COVID in a radio studio that also masqueraded as the Raptors' weight room on the top floor of Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, and we ran into Masai Ujiri just after the All-Star break when they were on a long losing streak, and he said, man, you know, we were almost out the door and COVID hit us, and now we've got to fight uphill. All right, well, he's still talking about winning, but when things didn't go and they got late in the season, it was obvious they weren't going to make it. And they started playing their younger guys to evaluate and using it as something going forward and ended up with Scotty Barnes in the draft. He was willing to do that. I don't see Masai willing to do that. I don't see him voluntarily, uh, you know, tossing in the towel. I, I don't see Masai as a guy that's like, all right, well, we'll take this loss and, We'll, 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 we'll take this loss, like, yeah, okay, no big deal. 
and will try to fight back. Do you see Masai lying down and taking losses, Eric? Never, never. So I, I don't see anything that does not lead toward winning. Uh, do I see it going backwards to try and go forwards? No, because I don't think uh, that's in Maasai or the organization's nature unless it jumps right in front of you like it did in Tampa where you're that far out, uh, not playing in front of your own fans and you have the perfect confluence of circumstances that allow you to get a number four pick. I, I don't see that though. I don't, I don't see that. The Raptors have been in the playoffs eight of the last nine years. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see this thing being blown up or, as you said, panic, the panic button being hit. So um, I think you let it go, and I don't think you can fully evaluate till you get everybody back healthy. You might have a little time for that evaluation into January when you start to get maybe Precious back, maybe Otto Porter back, but they're evaluating now, and they kind of know what they have, and there might be a few things that they didn't see that might jump up, either good or bad. But make no mistake, this front office knows exactly where it is and exactly where they're headed. Okay, so I said we were going to put a pin in something. Let's circle back a little bit here and, 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 and pull that pin off the board now. There are some issues, though, and there are some things to deal with. We've addressed this in the vlog a number of times. Hey, we always do the cheap plug for this very broadcast and, and, and show and podcast. But let's put in a little plug for the vlog as well. After every home game and many road games, make sure you check out the Smith & Jones vlog on both Twitter and Instagram because not only great analysis, but sometimes hijinks ensue like the other night when we turned into a couple of doctors trying to dissect no, you this did. team. You okay, did. Yes, it was just me. Well, we only had one rubber glove, so <laughs> it was just me. Um, but as we try to dissect this team a little bit, one of the points that, that we raised, and I know you, you went a little bit deeper in it th- than I did, um, let's raise at least one, if not two or three or five here. Three-point shooting has been a concern for more than a month. They're dead last in the league. Ball movement, for me, seems to be a concern. For a team that talks about playing unselfishly, they don't seem to have a lot of high assist total games, and the ball gets a little sticky, I find, at times. And I think on the defensive end, for a team that made its mark defensively and has a rep for being this dogged defensive team, they're regularly, you made the joke about my math numbers and my you know grades in high school and whatever, uh, they're regularly giving up 48, 50, 52, 55% to teams. And on top of that, they're getting off to slow starts in a ton of ball games. So there's four things I just threw at you. I, it, what else do you got, Jonesy? Uh... <laughs> You pretty much covered them all. Uh, and, and the only thing I would throw in there that is a factor in all of those things is health and lineups that Nick, um, you know, may have to deal with. That, that, that's all I can say. So, yeah, there's, there's there, you know, they're far from blowing it up. But at the same time, uh, you know, they are, they are not perfect. And as I say, never underestimate where you are in any professional sport, how close you are to being bad when you're good and how close you are to being good when you are bad. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. And, and listen, that's why I'll circle back to what we talked about off the top. Um, the good thing for the Raptors, uh, in spite of some of the issues and struggles over the last few weeks, is the fact that outside of Milwaukee, Boston, Nobody's really running and hiding. Here, here's the other thing. Somebody, somebody said to me on, on Twitter the other day, you focus too much on the record and the numbers and not just on the actual issues. Well, we've now discussed some of the issues. But at the end of the day, whether your issues are good or bad, and this is another Paul Jones line, your record is what it says yep. it is. You are yep. what your record says you are. And when I look at that, I go, hold on a second. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, in the Western Conference, the reigning NBA champions are hovering right around 500, whether it's a little bit above, a little bit below. Luka Doncic is considered by most to be top three, top five, at least an MVP chatter right now. Pretty much has his team an all but identical record within a game or two of what the Toronto Raptors are. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. And, there and, are and, a bunch of and teams. And again, Eric, I'll jump in here. Again, this is where people get 
carried away with hyperbole on either end. People were saying, Luca on the MVP ladder. Is he really on the MVP ladder if he can't even get his team into the playoffs? Or are you just a, I mean, he's a heck of a player, but are you just a really good player on a team that's not a great team? Does that make you the MVP? Right. No, no. And, and it's, and, and so for all those people that are saying he's MVP, he's not MVP right now. He's not even close. All right. He's a great player, but he's not even close because if you're the MVP, your team's winning. And to the people that think the Raptors need to blow it up, really, they're one game under 500. Go and look at the Boston Celtics record. They were in January. I, I wish I had the date uh, off the top of my head. They were a game under 500. They had a 20-point blowout loss last year, last season. And Ime Udoka called them weak-minded and soft. And what happened the rest of the way? Now, that, I, they make it to the NBA Finals. And they're up 2-1 at home in the fourth quarter with eight or nine minutes to go with the lead and the ball. Like, there's the fine line that, that I always talk about. But can the Raptors do something to jolt this thing into the right, get, getting it going in the right direction? Absolutely they can. And so for everybody that thinks the world is about to end with them being a game under 500, then yeah, it hurt losing two games uh, to an, uh, an Orlando Magic team that was near the bottom of the league. Yeah. But at the same time, just keep playing. You know, that's one of Nick Nurse's mantras. No matter what, just keep playing. And I think we're going to see that from this team. All right, let's bring into the conversation right now, senior NBA writer. You've been reading him for a long time, watching him as well, whether it be on uh, Sports Illustrated, Fox, uh, CBS Sports, senior writer for HoopsWire.com, Sam Amico. Sam, thanks for the time. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Hey, Sam, let, let me ask you this. I mean, we can look around the league as well, but obviously, you know, being here in Toronto, we're focused on the on the Raptors right now specifically, and it ties into the conversation we're currently having. Um, are you hearing anything from a from a Raptors perspective in terms of what Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster may be thinking? And, and does this even play into, Sam, maybe what a lot of teams are thinking in that is now the time to strike? Is it another, you know, couple of weeks, a month away? Like when do teams generally kind of start thinking, all right, we got to make a move. We got to do something. You know, generally it's after the start of the new year uh, is is when teams start getting a little more serious. Obviously, you know, when you're in the front office, you're always thinking of, okay, how can we improve? What are we missing here? Uh, particularly, you know, with the Raptors being in their situation now, like I said, a game under 500. Not bad, just not, you know, not peaking right now, which is okay, you know. So I, I think they're going to, you know, when you're in a, in a situation like Toronto, uh, we know they don't accept losing easily, particularly in the front office. So, you know, they're going to they're gonna maybe take a look at things and, and think, is there a way to get better? You know, do we need some more outside shooting, which it seems like is the case right now, Um uh, you know, could we use a uh, another big guy, a seven-footer? Uh, those are the things that you're probably asking yourself. At the same time, you know, now is not the time to hit the panic button. I know you, you know, if you're the Raptors, you've lost a couple in a row to the Magic and a, a team that's playing for the lottery. Um, but you know, there there is there can be drawbacks to hitting the panic button too quickly. And I don't think they're there yet. I think it's more of a let's let's wait another month or so and see where we stand. And um, you know, because there are a lot of reasons to feel good. This team this team has shown, and particularly at the beginning of the season, there are reasons to believe in what they're doing. So and, and the roster and the lineup. So I don't think they're at the point now where it's like we we need to blow it up. Sam, talk about the the weight of expectations too, because Eric and I had spoken about. Boy, a lot of people are, and it's fans, and they're, they're, it's their right to do so as fans um, and have skewed perspectives. And, you know, the, we're headed for a championship after the next win in the regular season in, in December, or we're headed for the lottery uh, and blow this thing up and, and, and fire everybody after 
you know, a loss in, in December. That's, that's the nature of, of, of fans sometimes in the games with the wild swings. But um, expectations, though, when you look at Toronto, what did you have them at at the beginning of the year? Where did you think they were? I thought a lot of people would probably sleep on them. I think they're better than they're showing now, but, you know, the record says, you know, this is where they are and, and that's where they are. But uh, your expectations and what do you what did you garner from people around the league about Toronto? Well, first of all, fan is short for fanatic. So fanatic, yeah. That's, that's the case in every, every city. <laughs> One loss, blow it up. Um, but, you know, I, personally, I had them in the 4-5 or five range in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, and I, I, I thought that was pretty safe bet um, after the first couple of weeks, you know, when they, when they were totally healthy. Um, and, then, and then the injury set in. That set them back a little bit. Um, now they're, you know, now they're back to kind of finding their groove. I, and most of the people I talked to throughout the league had them right about there, anywhere from four to seven in the East. Um, you know, the, the one great thing about them when they are playing well, they're playing with a lot of energy, a lot of physicality, don't have great size up front, but have a lot of guys who can hurt you in a number of ways in that, you know, six, six, six foot eight range. Um, and I, I think that just their, their sheer determination that they play with. We saw that in the opening game against the Cavs, right, the, from the very start, the way they overcame that deficit. They were just very physical. Um, and, and, you know, that that's their strength. Their, their issue right now seems to be a lack of outside shooting. Uh, is hurting them. They haven't been able to, to, you know, hit perimeter shots consistently at all lately. And um, I don't think that, I don't, I, I don't think that, you know, again, okay, this is something we have to give up, you know, core pieces to go get. I think you could find perimeter shooting uh, in an easier way. And I, I'm guessing that, that if this doesn't straighten itself out, they'll, they'll probably go look for that. And, you know, we've heard them link to some big guys who may be available, uh, Jacob Patel in, in uh, San Antonio and a couple other guys. You know, these aren't big, splashy roster uh, blowing up moves, just little pieces to help fix them. And they could still be in that, you know, conversation, in the, in the conversation. Maybe not for if the Nets and the, and the Sixers, you assume they're going to get their act together. But, uh, you know, certainly in the five, six range um, and, and as a team, the way they play when they're playing well is, is not somebody that opponents would want to face in the first round because they play that physical, energetic playoff style of basketball when it's working. Speaking with Sam Amico from HoopsWire.com. Sam, let me uh, move off the, the Toronto Raptors and, and take a look around the rest of the league with at least a couple of teams, and most notably the one that jumps to mind. And it was funny, Charles Barkley uh, you know, was, yeah. was chatting recently about the fact that, hey, why are we always talking about this team when they're a 12th seed? <laughs> but, hey, at the end of the day, it's the Lakers, it's LeBron, it's Hollywood. They're going to be talked about. What do you think the Lakers do? Do they ride this out? Or do they need to make some sort of move to sort of ignite that team? And what, if anything, can they do, given the limitations of personnel and whatnot that they currently have? If they ride it out, it's not going to be by choice. It's going to be because they couldn't find a dance partner in the trade. Um, I, I, you know, from, from the sounds of things right now, they just it's almost like they are exploring trades just for the sake of, you know, just to, just to try to move. Russell Westbrook, they're still active in those talks. Um, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of interest there to take on a guy who you're just going to buy out his contract most likely, uh, you know, if you're an opposing team. And if you're going to do that, you might as well wait until February. And if you're going to wait until February for the Lakers, you know, things will just perhaps keep slipping away uh, at that point. And, 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 you know, there's not a whole lot out there for them that would move the needle. You know, there's no, they were hoping the Westbrook trade a year and a half ago would do that, would, would, you know, put them back into contention, uh, keep them in, uh, you know, fighting for championships alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. But, you know, if you're going to have three stars in the NBA, 
we've seen this, right? You have three stars. The rest of the roster is just a, a, a role players. Well, their third star in, in Westbrook has been wildly inconsistent, has hurt them at times. He's been great sometimes, too, but he just hasn't lived up to the bill. So what can they do? That's real interesting. You know, we, we know they have two trade-eligible first-round picks, 2027 and 2029. I asked uh, opposing GM about that, and he said, I don't even know if I'm going to be the GM in 2027. Why would I want those picks? So they don't have a lot to offer. You know, we've heard they've tried to, to offer uh, Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn. Those guys, again, aren't somebody that other teams are clamoring to have and are going to give you much for. So they're they're kind of in a little conundrum. You know, and the only way they would really blow things up is, is obviously they're not going to trade LeBron James. Anthony Davis would be their biggest trade ship, and then and then do you get enough back for him? So, you know, the bottom line is, yes, we're always talking about them, whether they're great or a train wreck, and right now they're leaning toward train wreck, and uh, they can't be missed. It's, it's A lot of people are enjoying seeing this. So um, the, their, their biggest issue, of course, guys, is just like anybody else, where if you don't have, if you're not winning and you don't have pieces that appeal to other teams, which outside of Anthony Davis, they really don't, maybe those two first-round picks, but I just don't know. I don't know how they, you know, how they would potentially work out even a even a deal that moves the needle even a little bit. Sam, how difficult is it for Rob Palinka? Because listen, when you do business with LeBron James, you are in the here and now, especially at this point in his career. I mean, LeBron doesn't want to hear about five, six years down the line. I think the, the you know the the conventional wisdom and popular sentiment is he's just trying to hang in there to play a year with his son. And that might not even be in L.A. either. It might be whoever drafts his son. He goes in. My thinking is he goes in. I don't know if he goes in as a part owner. Maybe he can't play under the CBA as a part owner and player, but there's some incentive there for him to go and play with his son. But if you're Rob Palinka dealing in the here and now, those draft picks are what you have, but yet you kind of mortgage your future again for a team that is far from a championship, but you just feel you've got to do that with LeBron James on your squad. You know, there's no question that LeBron's camp would like them to surrender those picks if it means bringing back, you know, players who are going to help them uh, become a real relevant factor again whether that's uh, Miles Turner and Buddy Field from the Pacers, you know, do those guys solve their problems? They could, you know, I mean, Turner's the center that would a great defensive player at the rim would allow Davis to move back to power forward, which is where he wants to play, you know, and Heald offers them the outside shooting. If all it takes is surrendering those two first round picks and a couple of players, you know, that aren't LeBron James or Anthony Davis, then you probably should do that. Now, who knows if the Pacers would have, you know, totally are agreeable to that. But clearly, if you're Rob Polinka, yeah, things are, things are, uh, there's a high pressure job, even without LeBron James. It's the Lakers, you know. So um, it, it, time will tell if they are able to pull off one of these deals. But for sure, you know, and again, Rob Polinka may not want to trade those picks, but if he doesn't, the Lakers continue down this path, well, he's probably not going to be around to see 27 and 29 first-rounders anyway. So, you know, it's a, it's a very much a win situation. It's a tricky situation. But uh, you, hate to, you hate to mortgage the future for, for the here and now. But when you have LeBron James on your team, that's the conundrum. Sam, we appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys, thanks so much for having me. We will uh, chat at you soon. Thanks, Sam. Yes, sir. All the best. There is Sam Amico, and uh, definitely appreciate his time and his insight. And uh, you can check him out again at hoopswire.com, national NBA writer. We're going to continue on in a couple of moments with uh, another Jones. In fact, one that you might know quite well, Jonesy. Mark Jones, 
uh, Sacramento Kings broadcaster, national writer as well, and Jamma Malalela will join us. All coming up on Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Jonesy's brother, Mark, of course, ESPN play-by-play broadcaster, broadcaster for the Sacramento Kings coming up later on in the show. And I'll remind you, as I always do, to subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast, download, rate, and review. And we're pleased to be joined on the line right now by a guy who was uh, in the Raptor family for a heck of a long time. He's still got those Canadian roots. Those will never die. But he's an assistant coach with the reigning champs, the Golden State Warriors, Jamma Malalela. Jamma, thanks for the time as always. Oh, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. It's always good to stay connected and, and chat with you guys. It's a pleasure. Uh, Jamma, let me start with uh, with Golden State and the championship from last year. And I know it's kind of cliche to say this. You, you hear it all the time in pro sports. But the championship hangover, and whether that's legit or not, and I don't know if it's a hangover or if it's also the case of a team and I'm, maybe I referenced the Raptors even in this conversation and so many others as well. They're not the rating champs. But they're stuck in a conference, in a league, where a whole lot of other teams got better as well. So you might be the reigning champs, but there's a bunch of teams that are knocking at the door that want to be where Golden State was. And, again, I referenced the league has gotten better. And when you look down and think east and west, and there's, what, 20 teams out of the 30 that are above 500, there's a ton of parity, maybe more than ever before, at least in terms of recent history. Jamma, how much is that more the case as opposed to this quote-unquote hangover that people like to hang their hats on? Yeah, I think it's a really good observation. And I think, you know, the first part is is really when you win the championship, there's a glow through the summer. That part was special. And I think we all enjoy this sort of glow. Like, you're, you know, you're the champs. You walk into summer league, you see, see someone on the streets. Like, it's this really sort of special summer. And I think that's one thing. And the Toronto one was the same way, right? When you win that championship, that next summer is incredible because everyone's sort of congratulating you and, and feeling positive. And then I think once you get to training camp, and we had a, the Warriors had a really tricky training camp where we had to go to Japan early. I think the Raptors had to do that a few years ago. Kind of throws your, your rhythms off a little bit. And we never really got rolling early. So if it's a hangover or not a hangover, but, but I think the point is that the league is getting better. There's a whole lot of good teams out there, and it's hard to win. Like before you'd have a few nights where you could just, you know, kind of chalk it up as a win no matter what. Those games are few and far between now. Uh, we're in Indiana today. It's a really tough team. They play really hard. Great Canadian content on that team. And it's going to be a battle tonight. And it's the same every single night in the NBA. So that's the lesson for us is that championship or not, this year's league is a really tough one, and you have to bring it each and every night to get a win. Jams, I want to – I want to. Uh, great to hear your voice, man. Uh, uh, by the way, I rolled by uh, the old the – old, our, our, our venerable edifice, Oakwood Collegiate, still standing, still looking good. So I just – I wanted to give you that update. Um, um, I, wanted, I, want, I want to look at this thing from – your perspective i know you guys don't listen to all the noise because i'm sure in golden state the same way as the champs even more so than it is here in toronto you know things aren't where everybody wants them to be and that sky is falling uh mentality is is starting to prevail and you know it 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 ropes people in and everybody starts seeing stuff that they don't that's not really there and you know there's a, a kind of a panic that ready to set in but Talk to me about expectations from the coaching standpoint. You know every night you're going to get everybody's best shot. You know that, uh, as you mentioned, teams are getting better. But you also know that you could be playing better and things aren't totally right. How do you balance that? How do you not listen to the noise of, oh, you know, this thing needs to be blown up and we need to trade everybody, but at the same time, yeah, we do recognize there are some things going on, and we do need to get better, and we do have high expectations. Yeah, it's a really good point, and I think Coach Kerr is essential to that. So, and, and Nick Nurse is the same. Like, like it starts with coaching, and coaching is finding a way to get your team as prepared as possible. Um, and there's such a multitude of ways that that happens, right? From practice, in-game, um, player health. Like, there's a million pieces to what that looks like and getting your best available product ready to play and play at the highest level. And I think that's the art of coaching, right? That, that's why we all do this. Because lifelong coaches, new coaches, we do it because we're trying to prepare our athletes for success. So on our team, um, you know, where we have these sensational players, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, like, you know, Hall of Fame, world-class, Draymond Green, and then we have these young players developing, trying to learn, figure things out, like, you know, almost like blinded by, wow, this is the NBA, big life. You know, our young guys like uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, uh, who, are, who are actually playing much better of, of late. 
Um, that's the art of coaching. It's balancing these these different players and figuring which one should be on the floor at which time. Um, and I think that's where you enjoy it. And so from a coach's standpoint, if you're asking me as a coach, that's why we coach, because it's fun to try and put the puzzle pieces together the most effective way you can and come up with a win at the end of the night. It's 48 minutes of basketball, but it, it's a million decisions that help you either win or lose that game. Speaking with Gemma Malalela, assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors. Gemma, you just mentioned Kaminga's name. Um, you know, from a Raptors perspective, a lot of people talking about Scotty Barnes as well. In general, whether it's Barnes, whether it's Kaminga, you've got a ton of experience with, you know, not just players in general, but with young players and the development of young players. What is, and I know I understand this is a kind of a broad stroke que- question, and it's different for each individual. I get that. But, it, it, again, broad stroke. What is a realistic path, arc, uh, expectation for a second-year guy, a third-year guy in terms of just development as a person and more so as a player when you're looking to take that next step, that next step, that next step in your career growth and arc? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on it that each player truly is different. I think real player development knows that you have to coach that singular athlete. Um, so Scotty Barnes is going to be different from, from Kaminga, and Fred Van Vliet was different from Pascal Siakam in their early years. Each player is their own person, and they have their own sensibilities, their own motivations, their own sort of um, things that, that, motive, that get them going or, or don't get them going. And so understanding that, first and foremost, is the key to player development. And then it's experience. Um, and there's no other recipe than just giving them minutes and giving them reps and giving them time to do it. And I think our league is so well-developed now that we have this great G League system where players can get reps in the G League. We've got a guy, James Wiseman, obviously, who everyone knows him as the number two pick. And he's playing really well right now because he's been getting G League minutes. We have a pretty deep roster, you know, on the Warriors main team with a bunch of vet players. And so we're, we're able to get him minutes and get him improving. And I think it's, it's, it's this unique process of, of figuring out the athlete, right? So for Kaminga, for example, like, like getting him to understand how basketball is supposed to be played um, and then getting him a chance to do it time and time and time again. There's fundamental things like they're shooting, you got to work on their passing. But much more to me, it's about experiential, like making decisions on the basketball court. That's really what, what player development comes down to. Jamma, you were a head coach in the G League. How important is that? I mean, we look at what it did for Toronto in their championship season and all the guys that developed from Jakob and Pascal and Fred to guys that like Jakob and DeLon Wright and Norman Powell who are no longer with the organization but developed under that system and, and probably running a lot of the same stuff that the big club ran. How important is that? Yeah, I've always felt that, you know, the, the year that the Raptors won um, and Pascal and Fred both played in the championship game, the 905, uh, and they won that game and, you know, they won the championship, that that experience was so critical because it must have been two, three, four years later when we're in Oracle, uh, game six, um, and Fred had this amazing game and hits a bunch of threes and, like, he felt that before. And, of course, it's different. I'm not saying the G League championship is the same as NBA. Of course not. But he felt the pressure of this is the, the biggest game I can play on this stage. And so for Fred, like, he played really well against the Warriors, um, you know, in that game six because I think he'd had prior experience. And so to me as a G League coach and someone who really believes in the league and that system of development, it's about giving that opportunity. It's about giving players a chance to win and learning how to win. I, I think winning is a learned skill. I don't think it just happens automatically. You have to learn what it means to win games. There's so many pieces that come to that. And winning is much more about making the right pass and making the right shot, right? Like, people are good shooters. That's fine. Like, the whole league can shoot. But who can make the right pass? That's how you really teach winning. Uh, uh, Jamma, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you uh, how you guys handled the whole situation. It made big news in the preseason. Uh, it's in the rearview mirror. Uh, your team is functioning now. But um, your view on practices as kind of family gatherings and things that happen in practice and and, and keeping them in-house. That, that, that must have been tough to deal with with everything else that was going on. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, the lesson that I've learned from it is, is, you know, all of these NBA teams, you know, are really huge commodities, right? And they're just so much involved in each NBA team. And I think the Warriors are, are pretty high on the food chain in terms of national audience and sort of people really wondering what's happening and how they're doing. Um, and so I think, you know, our preseason sort of, you know, things that happen in practice was a good learning experience for all of us in terms of what, what can we control and what can't we control, but also how do we move forward. And I think what I'm most impressed with is some of the leadership that you really – I think you see real leadership in, in crisis, right? Not so much when things are going well. 
And to me, I was most impressed by our leadership in a time of crisis and people really sort of getting back to the roots of what matters most. And, and people are the, are the, the, the matter the most. And Steve Kerr really preaches that. Um, and people matter. And I think that's what we came out of that experience with. And we all kind of developed and grew because of it. Hey, Jim, I, I said I was going to wrap up, but I, I do want to ask you something, even just kind of based on what you're saying there. This is maybe more of a, a, a big big picture question for for you personally because we've obviously known you for a long time the fan base knows you as well um what's it been like these last couple of years the transition from going from the raptors to going to the bay and working for the warriors but also doing this in the midst of and it, you know i don't want to get too far into your personal life but family impacts things a move with family impacts things you like everybody else in the world has been dealing with the pandemic and covid and then getting back on the road and traveling and navigating all that like how has it just been on a personal let alone professional level these last couple of years and sort of taking this next step and chapter in your life yeah i think that you know for me i've always really tried to put these two things first and and to me they are my job as sort of a father and a husband um, and those those two things matter more than anything else that's happening. And our careers don't lend themselves well to either of those two things, unfortunately. So I think as you start to move your career around, and, and I was very blessed to be in Toronto for such a long time, um, and then very blessed now to make a move to such a world-class organization in Golden State. And I think that all of those decisions are decisions and choices that I make as a family, and we try and do them collectively and collaboratively um, with always maintaining a priority that, that – what my kids are going through and what my wife is dealing with are the most important things to worry about in a day. I often joke with my young players. I said, I dropped my kid off at school today, and that's by far the most important thing I'm going to do today, not shoot, not giving you 300 shots or teaching you how to dribble, pass, or shoot. You know, like the time with family really matters. Um, and so for me, it's been this wonderful journey, and I think um, basketball is great because you can travel the world and you can, you can gain these new experiences, and I've been so blessed to, to be in many parts of the world because of basketball. Uh, but I'm always grounded and rooted in my kids and in my wife and in my family, and that has to remain paramount. I think it's hard to do, in fact. It's not an easy thing. You have to really work at it and be conscious of it, and hope that I can continue to, uh, continue, to continue to do that. Hey, Jim, we appreciate the time. As always, uh, happy holidays to you and the family, and we'll look forward to, to seeing you real soon. All the best. Thanks, guys. All the best to you as well. Always good to chat with Jamma Malalela, again, assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors. We're going to stay in the Western Conference and shift our attention as we uh, bring in another Canadian that is stateside and a guy that, uh, well, at least one of us knows quite well. I mean, I know the guy, but not to the extent of Jonesy that you do. Of course, your brother from ESPN and the Sacramento Kings as well, Mark Jones. Mark, thanks for the time today. Yeah, man, always fun being on with you guys and talking some hoops. Well, let's, uh, let's start with the Kings. Um, you and I know that Mike Brown can coach. And I think people forget and maybe have slept on what he has accomplished as a coach. I mean, he had a team that had LeBron James and a lot of other role players. And I think he's kind of developing De'Aaron Fox into a star right now. And he wasn't sleeping when he was spending all that time besides, besides Steve Kerr up in Golden State. Um, how, how dangerous are the Kings right now, Mark? Yeah, you, you touched on it, Paul. You hit it right on the nail. Uh, Mike Brown is an elite coach. I dare anybody to name the other four starters that started on the team that made it to the finals in Cleveland besides LeBron James. I mean, Booby Gibson, Daniel Marshall, Sasha Pavlovich, the Drunas Olgauskas. I mean, he took that team to the NBA finals, which should be an automatic speed pass into the NBA Hall of Fame. Um, you know, <laughs> I think when you look at what Mike has done this year, um, it starts with De'Aaron Fox, you know, before this recent uh, foot injury that he suffered that forced him to miss two games before coming back in Philadelphia last night. Uh, De'Aaron was playing and is, I think, still uh, borderline NBA Western Conference All-Star. And Mike is all about the culture change, and it starts with Fox. You know, he's made – everybody accountable in Sacramento on the roster one through 15 by coaching De'Aaron extremely hard. And Fox loves it. He's told me he loves it. He's responded to it. Uh, let me give you a case in point game one preseason game in Los Angeles against the Lakers. First minute of the ball game, Russell Westbrook scores two baskets. Mike Brown calls timeout less than a minute into the game and really kind of lit into De'Aaron. And ever since that, Everybody, including De'Aaron, has bought in. And it's really kind of set the course for this franchise uh, for where we are right now, you know, 20-odd games in. 
You know, the second part of it is uh, Domas Sabonis. You know, he's gotten through to Sabonis and, you know, the style of offense that Mike has brought from Golden State, you alluded to it. He wasn't sleeping besides Steve Kerr. Mike's really had a wonderful evolution and growth as a head coach where, you know, he's known as a defensive guru, but the offense side of the ball is really what's separated Sacramento from everybody else coming in at number six in offensive rating. And it's a style that's based on player movement, ball movement, uh, dribble handoffs, um, split cuts off of the elbow, playing off Sabonis. And, you know, that's why Sacramento is amongst the leaders in assists and points off of um, handoffs and, and movement overall and leading the league and amongst leaders in passes made per game as well. And it's all part of the culture shift, and it's worked out pretty well for Sacramento so far. Hey, Mark, it was like you read my mind because the word I was about to use was culture. And with no disrespect intended to anybody that's been there before uh, that certainly put in the, the work and the effort and tried to turn this thing around, it seems like from the outside looking in, it is a culture shift, which I sure comes from what Mike Brown is saying and, and whatnot. But how much of that, too, is this team has been stockpiling a lot of talent for a lot of years, and finally it's coming together, and it seems like it's the right mix at the right time for a club that's been desperately seeking to at least get into the postseason, let alone make some noise, and it's kind of the, the recipe's finally coming together. Yeah, looking to break the 16-year playoff drought, and a lot of the credit has to go to uh, not just Mike Brown, we mentioned him, and players Fox and Sabonis, but Monty McNair, guys, has hit on all three of his draft picks so far uh, as the general manager of this franchise with, you know, Halliburton, with Davion Mitchell, and now with Keegan Murray. Uh, he parlayed uh, Halliburton into a uh, two-time All-Star and Sabonis in that. Uh, I don't think it's a controversial deal. I think it's a deal that helped out both teams. That's how trades are supposed to work sometimes. And, um, you know, a lot of the credit goes there. And, you know, they've built a roster now that can withstand uh, De'Aaron Fox having subpar games. There have been many games this year where De'Aaron has been below his scoring average of, you know, 24-25 a game and only scored 14 a game. He's been able to impact the game at the defensive end of the floor. But there have been other guys that have stepped up. You know, uh, Terrence Davis had a 31-point game on uh, national TNT broadcast a couple few weeks ago, um, you know, uh, Malik Monk has been an outstanding find off the bench. I mean, I think before it's all said and done this season, he's going to get a few votes for six man of the year. And Mike Brown has already started to tout Malik as uh, a six man of the year candidate. He's having a career season in, in scoring and has been a much better playmaker than most people thought. You'll see that tonight. And then just a well-rounded bench. Trey Lyles has had some good moments. Um, you know, when you look at Kevin Herter, still amongst league leaders in three-point shooting, even though he's cooled off a little bit and regressed to the mean uh, the last, you know, six or seven games. But he's turned out to be uh, a much better, quote-unquote, basketball player than just a shooter, uh, which was previously thought of when he was in Atlanta, just basically running to the corner and spotting up uh, for Trey, uh, Trey Young to, you know, spit, spit it out to the corner for him for threes. Mark, the organization, because Eric said it, the organization has undergone a change. Um, and it comes from the top, from ownership on down. And I know you're really high on the ownership. I mean, we look at successful teams. Uh, you know, you still have your, your place in Miami. By the way, if we ever get to travel again and there's nobody there, Eric and I are looking for the key. Just leave it under the mat. Hey. Um, yep. Airbnb uh, Jones, you got it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I know how to get the pool vacuumed. Uh, I'll have to teach Eric, yeah, but but yeah. that's good. But you yeah. look at the culture in Miami with Riley. You look at what's gone on in Golden State with with their ownership and the way they treat their players and not afraid to, you know, pay the bills if it's a luxury tax. I mean, we think back to the Celtics back in the day, the Lakers, like like all of it. Mark Cuban, when he won his championship, there it, the, the ownership has a lot to do with it. And talk to me about the recent changes in ownership and the vision in ownership from the top. You talked about Monty McNair, but it goes higher up the chain, doesn't it? Yeah, Vivek Ranadibi has been a pleasure, a joy for me to work with. I, he's been outstanding. And, you know, just from a TV production standpoint and from a play-by-play -play standpoint, but you know, uh, he has spared no expense 
in being able to uh, help shift the culture of this franchise, uh, even more so in the last, uh, you know, last few months and what he's done with um, some items that the team might need behind the scenes in terms of, you know, the athletic training staff, massage therapists, uh, pouring all kinds of resources into uh, what the team needs, what the players need in terms of accommodations, top flight accommodations, great facilities at Golden One Center, practice courts. Um, uh, they've, they've been sparing no expense. And, you know, the message is clear now uh, from the top on down from Vivek and the other owners that uh, they're, they're willing to spend and have been willing to spend and will spend and make deals to make this team uh, at the short term uh, get into the playoffs and in the long term contend for a championship. That was Mike Brown's first statement when he was at the news conference, when he was hired as coach and said, Hey, Vivek didn't bring me here, um, you know, just to get into the playoffs. He brought me here to win playoff games and to contend. So, um, you know, the credo this year is all in everybody has been all in literally from top on down. Speaking with Mark Jones. All right, Mark, hard hitting question time here. Uh, this is, you know, people come to me for this, this journalistic, this real hard hitting stuff. Who gets credit for the beam, and what is the deal with the beam? I mean, it's been a fun little side thing, but I love hitting the button and seeing the big purple beam flash up into space. But, like, what's the deal behind all that? Uh, well, you know, Vivek, our, our extremely uh, talented owner, uh, resourceful owner, and uh, John Reinhardt, the, um, one of the vice presidents of the Sacramento Kings, got their heads together and came up with the idea, I'm told. And those are four 1,000-watt purple beams that, make its way really guys into outer space. I'm told I'm not a scientist, but I'm told that they penetrate the outer layers of outer space. And um, it's just a great thing for the fans to rally around. I'll tell you what, man, I've, I've been involved in the NBA for over 30 years and my last three years in Sacramento, I have not seen a more passionate fan base anywhere in the league. Um, my wife and I have an apartment in downtown Sacramento and all up and down uh, you know, J Street, L Street, from 5th at the arena all the way down to 23rd where we are. It's Sacramento Kings basketball. It's the sole show in town, and everybody loves their Kings. And this beam has really added to kind of the excitement. It's a great novelty, and uh, the fans look forward to being able to light it. And I see it's so talked about and respected now that, you know, other teams are trying to troll us, you know, like when – the Knicks won. Somebody put a beam above the Empire State Building in the World Trade Center. And when um, Philadelphia beat us last night, somebody put a beam above one of their downtown. Uh, I don't know if it was a Liberty Bell or one of those buildings, but um, it, it's, it's been a nice thing to talk about. And, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a gimmick, but uh, for a franchise that has lacked a little bit of an identity in the past, this is ours. You know, that's our beam. You know, you can't talk about the beam. That's our beam. You can't dish the beam. That's our beam. That's our purple beam. And when and when the aliens come for us, they're going to come to Sacramento and say, hey, you know what? We need to leave this team wearing purple alone. They are right. We'll get everybody else. Hey, there, well, there's, 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 there's somebody in Toronto right now, Jonesy, right there. Like, we need a big red one or something, and we're going to change it no, from we the, no. North, the we, we the beam. We the beam. Uh, and it's going to shoot off the CN Tower. <laughs> I got to tell you, if, if when there's wins over Sacramento, be it uh, in Toronto or Sacramento from now on, somebody's just going to get the clicker for the CN Tower and make it a certain color. So that's, I mean, we've seen that's that exactly happen before. Happen. I guarantee you. I, yeah, I guarantee you. If, if, if the Raptors win tonight, someone's going to put a purple beam above the CN Tower and, you know, it'll be the troll tour continues as long as this, this losing streak continues, you know. But it's been fun. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, yeah. got T-shirts, merchandise, you know, beams being sold at the team store now for Christmas. I mean, it's, it's been fantastic. And, hey, listen, here we are 20-odd games into the season, and, you know, we're, we're above water in Sacramento. With Consider the fact that Harrison Barnes still hasn't played his best basketball yet. Uh, Aaron Fox has not been healthy for about seven or eight games. So once those two things uh, start to pop, you know, this is a team I think that, it's not just a play-in tournament team. It's a playoff team. They're top six. Uh, Mark, interesting because you talked about the injuries, and that's something that Eric and I have – well, we've belabored the point pretty good here in Toronto with injuries. I mean, key injuries to Precious Achua. You got Otto Porter for shooting. He hasn't been able to go regularly. 
you know, we, we surmise he's not saying anything. He's playing through it, but we surmise Fred is banged up. Uh, there, the injuries can derail you. But I want to go national here with your, with your duties with ESPN. And, you know, fans in Toronto are saying it. Fans in Golden State are saying it. I'm sure fans in Miami are asking, what the heck is going on with our team? You, you know a little bit, still have some connections there in Miami. What's up with the Heat? And is it as simple as the injuries are making it tough for them too? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you look at the amount of games that Jimmy Butler has missed. Uh, Hero has missed a bunch of games. Uh, they've had such a revolving door of starting lineups. I think that's, you know, issue number one. I think issue number two is, you know, for all of the wonderful culture they've been able to establish in Miami over the years under Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra and the Brain Trust, um, it looks like a team that has lost a little bit of urgency um, in the present and has looked at kind of they're skipping steps. You know, they're skipping steps right now. They came so close. They were in Miss Jimmy Butler three-pointer away from uh, making it to the finals last year, losing at home in game seven against Boston. And, you know, that, that I think has got them thinking, okay, we'll just wait until the playoffs roll around and juice the game. You can't juice the game. You can't juice the regular season, man. You try and juice the regular season at the last minute, you end up in the playing tournament and you end up on vacation going to the Bahamas for a couple of weeks. So I think that's where they are right now. And, you know, I, I think, if and when Bam Adebayo starts to be the 20.10 rebound guy that I think he should be, an all-defensive team player that he has been, until he starts to be a little bit more aggressive offensively, and it's starting to turn in that way a little bit, uh, th- this team is going to continue to stall out. You know, Mark, my follow-up to that is, you, and we talk about it all the time, how guilty are we, the media, because we just look at championships and unfortunately people have this uh, impression that only one team wins at the end of the year. And if you're, if you're, you know, like dad used to say, if you're not the lead dog, the view's all the same. But you can have a successful season and make strides even though you haven't, you know, won a championship. And how guilty are we of just putting everything on the playoffs where teams get like that? As you say, they, 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 you know, they, they blow off the, the regular season. They try to juice it at the end. And, you know, there's load management and people are like, ah, it doesn't matter. See me in April. How, how do you change that trend? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't know because there's only, I believe, a handful of teams that can really um, hit the switch and juice it. And, and one of them's you know, one of them is Golden State, but I don't know if anybody else has that ability to do that. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that's kind of crept into the game. I heard Kawhi Leonard the other day yeah. coming off the best game of his uh, recent, like, two years since his ACL injury. I heard him say, this game really doesn't matter. It's about the playoffs. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> but that's where everybody's head is, right? Like, I, I heard Brett Brown, I remember when he was coaching Philadelphia, a couple of years ago say, you know what, we're just working our way towards being able to land the plane right in April. And it's all about how the plane lands in April at the end of the regular season. But I don't think that that's true. I think you accumulate habits and you are what your record says you are uh, in the present moment, unless there's some real, real heavy mitigating circumstances like the Clippers right now getting people back, right? Like that, that's the reason why their offense has been – you know, lower quarter, 25th, 26th, whatever it is, you know, when they get Kawhi Leonard back on a regular basis like he is now and Paul George stays healthy, you know they're a lot better than that. So outside of outside of maybe them and Golden State, I don't know that there's a lot of teams that can really lay back and say, hey, we're going to wait until April and, and hit the button. Mark, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I know the two of you will obviously be catching up, but uh, all the best for the holiday season. You got it, guys. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, man. See you in January. You got it. That was Mark Jones from ESPN and play-by-play broadcaster with the Sacramento Kings as well, folks. Again, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, or elsewhere. Download, subscribe, rate, 
and review fresh content every Thursday. Or, hey, sometimes a little bonus action, a little early on Wednesdays as we are on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and all of those podcast platforms. Thanks to our producer, Austin Mackey. And for Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks again for tuning in to Smith & Jones.